You're listening to the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. Hello, sir. Thank you for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you for having me. So tell us, who are you and what do you do? I'm Trent Gander. I run the Gentleman's University of Manliness WordPress blog. I'm a freelance writer, I would say an advocate of freedom, and a total RPG nerd who somehow has made it to where we are right now. Now, I have to stay off the bat. The Gentleman's University of Manliness has got to be the coolest name for a website I've seen in a while. What's the story there? The story of it was uh, when I was a teenager, I was noticing that a lot of the kids my age and even some of the, uh, the people in their early 20s and even into their 30s mm. were not getting the same education that I was receiving as someone who grew up outside of what most people think of this as the system. I was homeschooled. I had great parents, have great parents. And the things that they were teaching me, the things that I was learning were not as widely known as I thought. It started off as a way to try to teach people how to interact with others and how to essentially schmooze, how to talk to people and not be awkward. And then it expanded off into, okay, what are the tools that you need to survive in the modern world? What mental tools can I use to essentially create like a hack or a cheat so that I can learn something in one sphere Take that same information or that same method, put it into a different one so I can take less time learning in a new area of expertise so that no matter where I am, I can figure out what's going on. I think that methodology is help, will help a lot of people because what's the first thing you do when you come into something new? You're like, I don't know what's going on. But once you start drawing connections, it starts to open up a bit more. And the major fear that people have is not knowing or is attached to things that they don't know so if we give them something that they can have all the time when they walk into a situation they're less likely to be afraid and they'll react better than someone who doesn't know what's going on okay 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 um interesting my question that makes me wonder this uh, since you talk about manliness define the modern man today <sighs> who is he? What drives him? What is he? What should he be? <laughs> or should that, that be? The, the, that can be summed up in two different caricatures. Okay. There is the man that we have today, the man he should be. Mm. The man that we have today, on average, is going to be more effeminate leading. They're, they're scared. They don't know what they're doing they they want to be taken care of they don't know what it is to be a man and they're told that anything that is remotely masculine is a complete and utter sin that they are cursed with from birth in order to be uh inflicting it on other people like it's some sort of disease like no matter what everything you do is a failure nothing is nothing is good about you because you have male genitalia that's it. And because of that, they, they react out of fear and they react out of uh, a sense of worthlessness, which creates the very problems that people who espouse the idea are trying to correct. So it's, it works in reverse. 
it creates the problems that they're trying to solve rather than resolves the problems that we're trying to essentially rid the human race of. What he should be. A man should be able to be first in control of himself, something that I still struggle with you know, every single day because it's never something you just like, yes, I've achieved complete and utter self-control. Because once you're in control of yourself, you then start to control the environment around you. You can't necessarily fully control people, but if you don't have a, a reign of your own horse, you certainly can't control somebody else's horse or understand how it, how it works. So a man should be able to control himself. He should be confident. He should be dangerous. He should be competent. It's not necessarily about playing nice. It's about playing fairly, but understanding that other people don't play by the same set of rules and to know when which rule sets that you need are in play and when they're not. You should absolutely have a personal set of rules that you don't go against. So that builds up your integrity. When you see somebody starting to challenge that integrity, you want to keep your integrity as intact as possible. Otherwise, they'll just they'll point it out. They'll find the chink in the armor. They'll break apart your entire being if they find that one chink. So what you have to do is try to maintain as consistent a line and always continue to grow and always continue to improve on yourself in order to face tomorrow's challenges with yesterday's tools because no matter what uh, system of thought you use humanity has been around thousands to some say millions of years and there has got to be a problem that has happened time and time again so we have a bunch of data that we can go through look at experience learn from i'll save us time in the future rather than trying to reinvent the wheel every single time we encounter a new problem. With that mentality, we can solve tomorrow's problems today and anticipate what's going to happen rather than being prepared for nothing at all. Wow. Well said. Um, when you mentioned that men should be dangerous what were you alluding to were you talking about physical prowess or mental prowess or what what were you everything everything people i'm actually working on a book called a guide to violence and its tools people hmm. misunderstand violence weapons and the natural world significantly mostly in the west because we live in the ivory tower of safety and security where we have people with weapons who protect us and we don't have to rely on ourselves at all right uh, when i'm in town 10 5 10 minutes away are the police i call them up somebody with weapons comes resolves the problem whether through force of wit being able to talk someone down or through physical force with either semi-lethal less lethal or very lethal force and so looking into how fighting is done you'll find out very quickly that while people think they can fight and that the best fighters are the strongest it's actually a combination of strength and intelligence being applied that creates the most terrifying we'll use the term warriors people like that term 
Interesting, interesting. I, as you say that, I'm getting, um, I don't know if you've seen this movie, uh, the Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. when, when he's in the, in the, uh, in a ring with some other guy and he's mm-hmm. analyzing how he's standing, how he's swinging and he's like uh, scientifically applying physics or whatever he's doing mm-hmm. in his brain to, f- to figure mm-hmm. out just the right weak points. And he wasn't, the guy he was fighting was much bigger than him, if I remember, that he was yeah. studying. So that's sort of along the lines of what you're talking about there, right? Exactly. And an interesting side point is that Robert Downey Jr. himself is a practitioner of Wing Chun Kung Fu, which is what he uses in that particular fight scene. So while, of course, it was pulled back so that he doesn't hurt the other individual, it is an example of fighting is just dynamic problem solving. Hmm. That's that's all hmm. it is at its most basic point. Hmm. The equation is I deal more damage to you than you deal to me so that I can actually walk tomorrow and I don't bleed out. That's the unfortunate reality of it is that fighting no if if it's a real fight everyone's going to get hurt somehow whether it's with fists with blades with guns whether it's mentally physically it's going to be damaging to both sides and you're just trying to limit the damage to yourself and people around you while removing a threat have you ever seen uh, as you said uh, different things popping in my head uh, have you seen the the martial art uh, krav maga thing that comes out of israel maga krav maga so I knew two women who uh, studied underneath someone who was teaching Krav Maga. Hmm. And Krav Maga has a very fluid vision of what it is in the United States because there are legitimate practitioners from Israel who trained in it and who are extremely dangerous people. And then there's the McDojo people who come over here, say it's Krav Maga Hmm. and are barely teaching anything and actually are making people more of a liability than they are being able to control themselves and be dangerous. Hmm. Hmm. Which martial art do you rep- do you recommend most that every man should know at least a little bit of? It's a combination of two to three things. Hmm. At the very basis, every man should know a little bit of jujitsu, mainly because jujitsu has been proven to be one of the most effective street combat styles available because it deals with using the body against using your opponent's body against them locking up the joints and which is extremely important when things like knives and guns come into play so you can avoid damaging yourself Mm. while they're trying to harm you this should be combined with some form of striking art such as classical boxing bare knuckle boxing mixed martial arts things like that so that you have a a wide variety and a decent understanding of how blade works blades work and how firearms work and it's never just one thing because there's actually an interesting uh, connection there is have you ever heard of hema no no haven't. so historical european martial arts is a revival of methodologies that were developed within the 13 to 1700s ranging from uh, essentially the time of the crusaders and knights to Uh, modern Renaissance individuals. And within one particular uh, codex, uh, 
the Flower of Battle by Fiore de Delivery, he had a system that went from unarmed combat, which was mostly focused towards uh, joint locks, so similar to jujitsu, mm. that then progressed to uh, plays with a dagger or uh, using a particularly long blades, such as uh, something with a 10-inch blade on it. Mm. Then it went to uh, the use of a stick about the same size as a dagger. Then it also covered sword, fighting in and out of armor, fighting from horseback, and fighting with more specialized weapons, such as pole axes. And all of them had this very basic uh, system kind of built into them, so that this, this play builds off of it, and you use a similar stance with a blade, and then you use the similar stance with a sword, and you use a similar stance with a spear. And they're all different variations, uh, especially with the angles of attack, so that I don't have to remember, yes, play 32 is what I need in order to counteract this, compared to, uh, okay, we're gonna take the, we're gonna take a strike from the right-hand side, which is, I forget the Italian, term that they use for it and we're going to have a, a couple of basic stances that we come from and that we strike from in order to keep it as simple as possible that's what most of the things you'll see in HEMA at least the the written traditions that are passed down to us they're very simplistic they're certain ones have rhyming schemes to help you uh, understand and remember certain moves and it's all about what can I remember underneath probably one of the most stressful situations you can ever be in. Wow. Wow. Uh, this something else pops in my, in my head too. I don't, I don't know why I'm remembering all these uh, arbitrary facts, but I, I remember seeing this article about this fighting technique uh, out of Britain mm -hmm. uh, where this, this proper English gentleman could whip a lot of behind uh, with an umbrella. <laughs> do you know what, do you know that fighting style? Like you just take it's called what? I think it's called Bartitsu. Bartitsu. It's the gentleman, the uh, the gentleman's self-defense manual or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen several videos of it, and it's it's very interesting. There's um, a particularly French martial art called Le Can, or, mm. or the Cane, and it and they actually still have competitions today. I think where uh, these two individuals will go into a ring. They have the fencing mask on and they'll mm. take a take a uh, very thin like walking stick and they will whip it at uh, using the term mock jesus at each other's heads in mm. order to use this this essentially self-defense uh, technique in a more controlled and uh, gamified uh, mentality similar to like olympic fencing has its roots in earlier fencing systems where they're training to defend themselves and or kill other people. So it's interesting how a lot of what we consider entertainment today has its roots in making essentially effective soldiers and people for self-defense throughout history. Because I cover this in the, a little touch on a little bit in the a guide to violence. There used to be Olympic bayonet fencing. Really? There was. It was up until 1910, 1912, you would have essentially a fake rifle mm. with a little cushiony ball on the end, and you would try to uh, 
stab the other person before they stabbed you. Oh and gosh. <laughs> it was it's, it's very similar to like uh, Olympic fencing in that regard. And it's so strange because today we think of the javelin throw or the discus or something like that with in regards to Olympic sports, but there's still archery, air guns, rifles, pistol shooting. All of those are Olympic sports, but they don't get as much screen time because there's uh, obviously a very much an agenda against the use of weapons in the world at large. And it's like, it's frustrating to me because what, what the Olympic essentially marksmen do is incredible. They're, we're talking about, I don't have the coin here. We're talking about putting small 22 rounds or pellets within a nickel size space at like 25 yards. And wow. it's, it, it doesn't sound like much, but trying to be accurate at that such a precise amount, even at such a was relatively close distance, is a, an amazing feat. The only thing close to that I've seen is, um, and I don't know the the proper, I'm assuming Japanese, I mean, it could be Korean term, but it's this type of archery where you just sort of pull the bow back and you like sort of, meditate holding the bow for like, I don't know, a few moments and you let it go and you hit your target. But it seemed like it's more of a combination of, it's like you're meditating with a bow and arrow, if that makes sense. Do you know what I'm talking I've about? Seen, I've seen, it's generally a very long kind of yeah. asymmetrical bow. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. those are referred to as daikyu. Um, they were originally designed for use on horseback. So they would just have a bunch of power, but without it being ungangly from riding a horse because you know you got a certain amount of clearance between you and the horse before it starts to become a problem Mm. and it would they used to train samurai on how to use that at full speed and put like two to three arrows into uh, a target as they're going by because the samurai class was originally uh, a form of mounted cavalry so Mm -hmm. they ride up you know be able to shoot a few things and they would set up in a position and they would shoot arrows at something. And I, uh, I used to do a little bit of archery and I have this, this, this young youth bow, it's not necessarily very strong, but being accurate with a bow is a lot harder than people think it is. And to be extremely skilled with it, which is what certain, certain groups of people were expected to be takes literally a lifetime to master and especially if you're using very heavyweight draw bows like the the english did Mm. in the 1200s you will take on significant muscular differences the especially in the back muscles you'll almost get uh bowed back and large shoulders from using these 120 pound draw weighted bows and they're sending pieces of wood through the air they're probably almost like a half an inch thick for the war bow arrows because we're, we're used to carbon fiber there's like these little tiny sure uh, kind of like sure. about this thickness yeah like a big pin it's it's there's like two to three of the not three of these probably about two of these in diameter because mm-hmm. they had to withstand impacting solid objects such as armor trees other things and it's it's impressive to see someone do that, especially relatively quickly, because you're like, I, I can't pull that. I have enough trouble pulling a 75 pound bow, let alone one that's 120, because once you get to a certain point, that force starts to multiply. 
Sure. And as it starts to multiply, it's you're holding probably two to three times the amount of poundage steady and you have to aim and then you have to release it. And the methods that we use for Olympic archery today are a little bit different than war archery. And people are going back to that. It's, they're seeing a pretty decent resurgence of it, especially in like the UK over the last 10 to 15 years. Hmm. You know, um, what well, might be kind of cool mm-hmm. if we had here in the United States more of a rite of passage for young men. We don't have that anymore. I think the only thing close to that might be about NISPA, maybe, you know, um, yeah. but we don't really have that. You don't have that in the African-American community that I've seen. I would love to see that, but I don't think we have it in the community in the United States at all, you know, uh, where men have to know how to, uh, I don't know, change a tire, change oil, know how to fight, uh, be able to lift their body weight or something like that. Different things, you know, uh, know how to add, subtract, multiply, divide to a certain level (laughs) to be considered an adult male. We don't have stuff like that. I I wish we did. Why do you think we don't? Ooh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) So what you're talking about is the idea that was pioneered in the Renaissance called the Renaissance man, someone who was well-rounded in every aspect of life, which is one of the reasons the gentleman is University of Manly's actually exists to to, to develop Mm. people like that. Mm. And the problem is people like that are hard to control. How can I tell someone who is, who knows how to hurt me, who knows how to survive by himself, what to do without me having a reason for him to actually follow? Because it gives people a choice. Like, okay, hey, do what I say. Why? Or else, or else what? I'll also hurt you. I can hurt you right back. There's that power dynamic that goes in there. There's a, a lot of things that are tied to culture and power dynamics. Hmm. Um, it's actually one of the reasons why we haven't had a nuclear war was because of mutually assured destruction during the, uh, the Cold War. Well, if hmm. I nuke you, you nuke me, everybody dies. Who wants that? Except the extremely insane individuals who really do want that. I don't want to die. You don't want to die. Let's just be cool. All right. All right. Tying into that, the uh, the dependence on especially things like government handouts, government support, which we've seen a lot of in 2022 being expanded or 2022, 2020 being expanded is indicator that people are making a move for control over a large portion of the population sure they they want to be able to control someone the best way to keep control a group of people is make sure they're lazy fat stupid and scared that's the unfortunate reality that we're starting to see come about in the modern world hmm the the lazy stupid fat and scared that's uh, antithetical to the principles you teach in the gentleman's university of manliness. <laughs> so I guess in a way you're teaching people yeah. how to be independent and independent exactly. men fly in the face of government dependence, which is, uh, I assume why you would get pushed back <laughs> once you get yeah. to a certain level, um, mm-hmm. from the government. This has been a very interesting conversation. Um, it certainly veered into a direction I wasn't expecting, but I'm glad it did. Same. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad I did. If someone wanted to contact you or or uh, get more 
knowledgeable about the gentleman's University of Manliness. Uh, how can they how can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at gent the irreverent, G E N T D E I R R E V E N. And other than that, you can contact the the irreverent gentleman Facebook page, which I'm slowly moving away from Facebook as much as I possibly can. Don't blame you. Frank Gander, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Hopefully it's not the last one. Uh, Time will tell. But for now, thank you for being a guest on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. Drop me an email. I can be reached at Jim Stroud, that's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D, at jimstroud.com. So, until next time, bye-bye.